It's the Dockiverse Podcast, episode number six, Attack of the Lemon Verbena. Hi there, folks. Welcome to Friday, and I hope you're all having a good day. I'm having a pretty good one, except for the fact that the wind here in Northern California has been running about 12 to 16 miles an hour pretty much constantly, day and night. So going out to the garden was, well, pretty much a sneeze fest. There was dust and pollen and God knows what else in the air. and I was good for about 20 minutes out there, and then I had to come back in. Spent the rest of the day pretty much just messing around, reorganizing my game room as best I can, and uh, taking care of the dog and living the life of someone who doesn't have to work anymore. So here we are six episodes in, and there will be some changes, starting with episode number seven. I not going to make it too much longer, but I am going to do things that are a little bit differently. Anyway, right now we're going to thank our wonderful, wonderful patrons over on Patreon for helping first my blog, now this podcast. They are a wonderful and colorful bunch. Thank you, David the Green, Avis the Orange, Bruce the Purple, Jame the Red, Marion the Yellow, and Mark the Blue. Y'all are just a rainbow of greatness. And now, here's part six of our ongoing series, Confessions of a Dungeon Master. This part, building bad guys or searching for a serviceable villain. I'll confess right now, I mind the hell out of books and movies and television shows and anything else I can find for NPCs and villains. Professor Moriarty, I gave him a new name and a new look and used him many times in several genres. Fu Manchu made him white and the big bad guy in a street-level superheroes game. Lex Luthor, I turned him into both a ruthless mad scientist in a pulp game and a dragon in a D&D game. The Joker, I made him an elf in AD&D, then moved that character into an X-Files-type modern game. Yes, the same character, an elf. Norman Bates, he ran a small inn on a little-used road in an AD&D one-shot I ran. Spoiler, mother was dead, but up and around, along with a few of her friends. Now, some DMs will tell you that you need to make enough changes to a character that your players won't recognize them as the original. I say, fuck that. The look on my players' faces when they saw that bleached white elf with a hideous smile was priceless, as was the blind panic after they picked up their jaws and tried to figure out what to do. So yeah, there are a bunch of villains out there that you can use. I've played in games where I recognize Darth Vader as a not-quite-undead but pretty badly fucked-up necromancer, Doctor Doom as an alien-human hybrid trapped in his armor and pretty pissed off about it, Cruella de Vil, actually dog-meat-loving twins in a game where we were playing the dogs, Henry Jekyll was female, Hispanic, French, and, with her hide side, right up front. And then there was Dr. Miguelito Loveless, a halfling in an almost steampunk AD&D game. He was funny and dangerous as hell. In some cases, I recognized him fairly quickly, but we were asked deep into things before anybody tumbled to Henrietta Jonkel, and until then, we thought she was just a moody bitch. The halfling had us fooled for about six sessions before we realized he was the villain and who he was based on. The trick with recycling a famous villain is to either hold off on the reveal until the player's in the middle of deep shit, 
or make them recognizable, but have them act differently than expected until the PCs are again in the thick of it. Sometimes the players take longer to tumble onto things than you'd expect. That was the case with Norman Bates, because none of the four players had actually ever seen Psycho. I had to have him kill an NPC in a shower to get one of them to say, Oh, shit! That actually got me thinking about using different villains for different groups. Some villains are recognizable by almost everyone. Joker, Hannibal Lecter, Gollum, Voldemort, Darth Vader, Dracula, they all fall into that group. For movie buffs, you could probably use villains from lots of old movies. People like Casper Gutman and Joel Cairo from The Maltese Falcon, Noah Cross from Chinatown, Cody Jarrett from White Heat, almost any non-Sherlock Holmes role of Basil Rathbone, and of course, 90% of the characters Vincent Price played after about 1953. The list is very long. Female villains are not nearly as plentiful, but they are out there, especially in books. In movies, female villains run more towards insanity than evil masterminds, as is the case of Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. I've yet to use Irene Adler as a villain model, but it's only a matter of time. Finally, we should not overlook real life. There are lots of villains out there. History is chock full of them. Hitler is way too easy, and he was an inept idiot to boot. Stalin, on the other hand, was no dummy and a full-on fiend. Getting away from genocidal bastards, you need look no further than the robber barons of the USA for some great bad guys. Of course, the politics of pretty much every nation on earth have produced hundreds if not thousands of villainous jerks. I have used a couple of real-life women as villains. That would be Margaret Thatcher and Nancy Reagan. The former was an iron-fisted dictator and the latter was power behind the throne. Yeah, I hardly changed anything about those two. So get yourself some fictional villains, give them a light coating of paint, or maybe a sex change, or even a species change, then set them against your players and their PCs. It will be fun. Since that was the last Confessions of a Dungeon Master that I actually have written up, we're going to be taking a break for a while, and uh, we'll probably come back in oh, two or three weeks with some more of it. Starting on Monday, you'll be hearing a series of short lectures. Now, it's time for Free Plug, where I talk about something that interests me, that I like, that I think you should know about. Well, this time it's something very near and dear to my heart. It's gardening. My friends, gardening is not only fun, it's relaxing, good exercise, rewarding, and if you grow edible things, it's healthy and tasty. That's a fact, because they did a study, and fruit, vegetables, whatever, grown for market by big farms actually do not taste as good as stuff you grow in your garden, especially if you grow heirloom vegetables. Anyway, gardening is fun and educational for kids, and the whole family, really. Once you start working with plants and doing a bit of online research, you'll find a huge number of gardening sites and groups. You can get as general or as specific as you want, both online and in your garden. And remember, a nice-looking garden gives your home plenty of curb appeal and provides habitat for lots of critters, especially if you provide a bit of running water, which is easy to do. So give gardening a chance. No matter whether you have a big yard or a little window box, it's fun. Okay, now let's move along to our final two entries from the current Doclopedia theme, Potawango Island Bestiary. Now, that's not the end of Potawango Island Bestiary. There are more on the blog that I can dig up later, but 
I figured it was time for a switch. So here's the final two entries. Entry 498. Colorful Feathered Tree Pigs. From the notebook of Dr. Thaddeus Silkmelon. Another wonderful day on this wonderful island. This morning, we, myself, Abner, Miss Abigail, Mrs. Hardapple, Smithy, Colonel Orpington, seven of our ship's crew, five natives, Percy my dog, and Fanny the cat, set off for a fortnight of exploring the interior highlands of the island. It has proven to be an excellent day for walking, and we are making good time despite my cataloging 14 new species of flora and fauna so far. Certainly the most interesting of these were the colorful feathered tree pigs. While I am sure they were not in fact genus Seuss, they do bear a marked resemblance to them. Once one gets past the feathers and the four-toed feet that allow them to climb with great speed and agility, the feathers come in a veritable rainbow of colors and are each about as long as my thumb. They cover the entire body with the exception of the face, which is typically pink and piggish looking. The aforementioned feet have two of the toes pointing forward and two pointing back, much like a chameleon. We watched at least 30 of these pigs, who looked to weigh about 30 to 40 pounds each, scurrying about in a group of fruit trees. It would seem that the young are precocious, since we saw several tiny babies climbing along behind their mothers. We saw no nests, but Paguna told us that the pigs nest in the deeper woods, in huge tangled oak trees. When we return from the highlands, I shall investigate this. Entry number 499, The Screaming Hyrax. From the notebook of Dr. Thaddeus Silkmelon. Poor Abner, I fear that this expedition has so far not been as pleasant as he hoped. Late this afternoon, as we were setting up camp and a large clearing, we spied a group of animals that I am sure are relatives of the rock hyrax, Procavia capensis, that are so common throughout much of Africa. Aside from a slightly broader chest and wider mouth, they fit the description perfectly. They were basking on rocks and seemed to have no fear of us as we approached. Most of us stopped at a distance of about 20 feet, but Abner, having had less than the best of encounters with some of the local wildlife, hung back another 20 feet. After about 10 minutes of the Hyraxes being rather bored with our presence, Abner came forward with the intention of snapping some pictures, which he did in ever-decreasing distances. The basking creatures did nothing but sit there. Emboldened by this, Abner got within three feet of one big male, right in the center of the group. He snapped several excellent close-ups and was almost done when he sneezed due to some dust. Upon hearing his sneeze, every one of the hyraxes took a deep breath and then began to scream exactly like a terrified woman, but much louder. Poor Abner nearly jumped out of his skin, unsure of which way to run. When he finally did begin running... He tripped over a rock and nearly fell onto a hyrax, which set them all off on an even ghastlier sort of scream. By the time Abner made it to where the rest of us stood, he was filthy, shaking like someone with palsy, and unable to hear very much as well. He also had great difficulty speaking coherently. Once back at camp, I administered a strong sedative and left him in the care of Miss Abigail. I do hope that this will not prevent him from photographing more wildlife, since he is so very good at it. Okay, y'all, I'm going to go on record here as never wanting to hear a hyrax scream. I'll also make a huge effort never to stand under any tree full of pigs. That would be bad. Alas, we are at the end of both this episode and week number two. I have had fun. I hope you did. I uh, have 
several more episodes written up, so I should be doing this for at least a couple more weeks. And, of course, I really do want to hear your suggestions, comments, questions, whatever. Anyway, I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you'll be back next week. If you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, you can find me on Facebook, where I'm Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Dockiverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com, or if you're listening via Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. If you'd like to support me via Patreon and hear these podcasts weeks before they go up on Anchor, go to www.patreon.com forward slash Cross. And if you do support me, you'll get a shout-out every episode, just like I did earlier, as well as those sweet patron-exclusive mini-podcasts and other cool stuff. For information about sponsoring the podcast or just running ads, contact me at the email address I just gave you. Have a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday. And remember, poking a bear with a pointed stick is almost always a very bad idea. Our music was Badass by Ben Sounds. Listen up, you mugs. This podcast and everything on it, except in the music, is copyright 2021 by Doc Cross. Get it? Good. Now scram.